G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Just imagine for a few moments, huge dinosaur footprints, big enough for an adult to sit in, measuring almost a metre across, beautifully preserved in a 40 metre long track, exposed when floods altered the course of a creek. Well, paleontologists nearly always date dinosaur footprints as being around 95 million years old. And as you may know, those sorts of dating methods are in conflict with the biblical story of a catastrophic event we know as Noah's Flood that creationists say happened only about 4,500 years ago. Now there's a big difference, isn't there, between 4,500 years and 95 million years. So you might think that there would be some obvious scientific evidence that clears up some of the big discrepancy. Now it's only a couple of years ago that a 20-strong team of paleontologists and volunteers rescued the footprints near Karula Homestead in central western Queensland. We'll talk about that today with Dr. Taz Walker, who's a researcher, writer and speaker on the team at Creation Ministries International. He holds a doctorate in mechanical engineering, working in the mining and electricity industries. He's also qualified in earth science and has published resources about geology and the history of the Bible. So, Dr. Taz Walker, a special welcome along to 2020. It's great to be here, Neil. Great to catch up with you and be able to contribute again. Excellent. Uh, Taz, dinosaur footprints, there's lots of these all around the world. Sometimes we think all the evidence that uh, is being discussed here, evolution versus creation, that must be somehow or other overseas uh, in the Middle East or North Africa, but right here on our shores, oftentimes under our noses, oftentimes looking at uh, various uh, vistas every day, there's evidence for creation. Indeed, there is. Well, it's really for the accuracy of the Bible and evidence for uh, in the landscapes for Noah's flood. That's where the evidence is, but also creation in the uh, plants and uh, the animals that are on the on the on the planet. They uh, they point to amazing design, but the the evidence for Noah's flood is incredible, and uh, many people don't ever see it. But uh, when when it's explained to them and it's explained what to look for and how it formed. Uh, people will say, wow, I see it everywhere now. So what a difference it makes. Now, this is a very important point to touch on early in our conversation, how you see it. You can have a secular, even atheistic scientist looks at one set of evidence and makes his or her own assumptions about that. You can have someone who looks at that through a biblical view, understanding a creator God, and the evidence, even though it's the, exactly the same evidence, looks completely different. That's, exa- that's true, and uh, because the secularists, uh, in the, basically in the academic sphere, they start with some very simple, basic assumptions. And one is that everything happened naturally, 
that there was no supernatural creation, that there was no supernatural import into this world. So they assume that. And no matter what the evidence is, they're looking for a natural explanation. That's one thing. And the other thing that they assume is that Noah's flood never happened. Noah's flood as described in the Bible. And so they try to explain all the rocks and all the fossils in terms of slow and gradual processes uh, and that they need to operate over millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions of years. So that's the way they, they explain things. And, and that influences the interpretations that they will, that they will embrace. Okay, let's talk about these Karula footprints. Uh, Karula Homestead, Central Western Queensland. Uh, give us a little uh, update on the story because it's really a fabulous story that these footprints were discovered. They've been transferred to near Winton. What's, uh, what's your take on, uh, on the story as it's developed? Well, it is an amazing story. And as you alluded to right at the very beginning, uh, there were some floods quite a number of years ago which exposed or, or changed the course of a creek bed. And this, the, uh, the creek bed, which the, the rocky bottom of the bed, was uneven. And it was many years later that somebody who was staying at Karula Homestead uh, saw this bed and they said, you know, there are dinosaur footprints in the, in the creek bed. And people were a bit astounded. And that was confirmed by a paleontologist that it, these indeed are dinosaur footprints. And so as a consequence of that, there was a big uh, project to, uh, to, to take these f- uh, footprints out of the creek and, and to preserve them at the Australian Dinosaur Museum near Winton. And, of course, you've no doubt been to the Dinosaur Museum at Winton. Or? I've been to Winton, but yes. it was not there when I was there, there when you so were in I'm okay. planning to go. All right. Well, you'll be aware of uh, their collection of all sorts of things uh, prehistoric, uh, no doubt they've got a, a, a fabulous display of all sorts of dinosaur bones and uh, and when we talk about, you know, these uh, dug-up uh, footprints uh, transferred there, they'd have a wonderful display there and it probably reflects an evolutionary view. Uh, but if you went there with a creationist idea, you might, you might be able to actually see things in a different way? Oh, indeed you can. And uh, it's just a matter of understanding or, or putting on a different set of interpretive glasses, right? really and so once you do that you can uh, you can understand things from a different uh, point of view but uh, there's quite a lot of pressure uh, to not put on the creationist glasses you know and so people will say things like you know they'll um there's a resistance to or they'll dismiss it or they will mock and so there's this resistance against looking at things from that a different perspective but so we need to give the information out to people so that they can know what to look for for themselves. Okay, let's just touch on this too because this is important. Uh, when there's pressure on people not to mention a creation perspective, and we're talking here obviously about uh, what people might be learning in their university studies because of all of this secularized way that university lecturers are, uh, in fact, uh, you know, training their students in. Uh, and when you talk about pressure, is there pressure not to mention that stuff? that brings in a biblical view of creation. Uh, All the pressure is on, this is the standard view. Uh, Here's all the science that we've discovered. Uh, This is what you hold to. If you don't do that, you're not being particularly scientific. That's exactly right. And they will say, well, I suppose you believe in a flat earth too, do you? And 
And so there's this disparaging uh, attitude towards it. And in a way, what happens is they will just dismiss you. And so you won't be able to really get a, a platform or be heard or get grants or, or support through government agencies or that sort of thing. And so even in a place like the uh, Australian Age of Dinosaurs Museum, they would need to hold creationist ideas at arm's length because they're supported through various agencies and uh, through the government and that sort of thing. So they're very reluctant to do anything like that. You know, honour to you and the team at uh, Creation Ministries because as qualified, well-qualified scientists who have worked in industry and seen what happens on the coalface, so to speak, uh, you're swimming against the flow of where the scientific, uh, you know, norm seems to be, and uh, not afraid to go against the flow. And you know, I think that's a little bit contagious too, because I know listeners to our conversation today, when they hear what you've got to say about dinosaur footprints, they'll be happy to go against the flow as well. So it's a wonderful leadership that you have. So just a that special honour to you, Taz. But let's get into some of this evidence. Uh, so when we talk about dinosaur footprints, and no doubt there'll be listeners thinking, well, you know, there's some dinosaur footprints on our property just down the back there. You know, people will be able to identify this sort of thing because they're much more common than people think, I imagine. Let's talk about the evidence. What makes these dinosaur footprints uh, obviously pointing to a creation view rather than an evolutionary view? Well, it's clearly that they're dinosaur footprints. You can, uh, and uh, when they went to Karula, when the uh, team of paleontologists went there and the volunteers, they were able to excavate them and identify the, uh, the different footprints. You mentioned the large footprint nearly a metre in diameter, which was of a sauropod, uh, which is a dinosaur that sits on, uh, it walks on four legs like a dog or a cow, something like that. So it's... it's uh, it uh, uses all four legs when it walks. But there are other animals as well, other dinosaurs as well. Uh, those that are like um, uh, ornithopods or theropods that uh, tend often walk on their hind legs. And, so, and some of those were small, some of uh, quite small size of chickens or a little bit bigger than that. And so there's a number of dinosaur footprints in this area which were discovered and which were documented as the uh, excavation proceeded. So while you can imagine, all right, now imagination is important here, you can imagine the sauropod dinosaur with the metre-wide footprint. You can imagine those smaller dinosaurs and they're running through the creek bed and they're leaving footprints as they go. What's significant to appreciate about the footprints if we're talking a creationist perspective here? Well, uh, one of the things is how clearly the footprints and how um, clear that they were in the, in the, in the rock. Uh, they, they were impressed into the rock material. So it, when the dinosaur stood on it, it was soft. And you could see the toes of the dinosaurs. You could see the claw, the claws. Uh, you could see when when the dinosaur put its weight down, it uh, the underlying muddy material was slightly cracked and produced mud cracks. And so that indicates uh, that this process this happened soon after the the sediment was deposited, and uh, the dinosaurs went across it. And then it had to be preserved. So. 
uh, it couldn't have been left exposed in the open for, you know, weeks or months because the footprints would dissolve away as we uh, experience to see down the beach in other places. So it had to be preserved and covered over with more material quite quickly. And so that all points to rapid processes which goes against the idea of millions of years. This happens just in in days and weeks rather than over millions of years. And when the typical uh, atheistic-style evolutionary scientist uh, approaches this idea, what sort of reaction uh, do you get from them when you say, uh, hang on a second, you're saying this should have taken millions of years for this to happen, to be preserved, uh, when in actual fact it needed to have some level of cataclysmic event happened in days, happened in weeks, happened in months, happened quickly. That's exactly right. And it really is like you talked about glasses, putting on a pair of glasses, and so you interpret the evidence from a certain perspective. And so we look at the evidence and uh, we've looked at uh, where these rocks form. They form fairly late in the geologic column. They're in the uh, Cretaceous uh, which was, as you said, 95 million years ago, according to the, the uh, long age th- uh, thinking. That's where they put it. So it occurred late, which was as the floodwaters were rising towards the top of their peak, you know, covering the earth. And uh, so we can, from a, uh, when we start with Bible history, we can envisage uh, where things fit within, within the uh, hi- history. So, and then we can interpret. So, but a person who doesn't believe in Bible history, a person who believes in evolution over millions of years, they will in, try to interpret within that uh, point of view. And they, um, they'll, they'll recognize that the footprints were quick. They'll recognize that the material was soft. And then, but they'll say there must have been periods where there was long periods of time where nothing happened. So they will put their long periods of time in between these catastrophes, and so it's a it's a a, uh, a new an idea which has come into vogue in the last couple of decades called neo catastrophism, where geologists have said, you know, it's not slow and gradual like we were taught at university. These are catastrophes, and but they want to still preserve the millions of years, so they put the long periods of time. In somewhere, and they got the problem with the time. It's not the it's not the person who believes in Noah's flood that's got a time problem. It's those who believe in millions of years. Well, that's a really important point that you're making here, because sometimes we think, and we're timid, aren't we, as Christian believers, and we think, oh, we're the ones who've got the problem because we say that this must have happened because of a cataclysmic flood that we call Noah's flood. And only four and a half thousand years ago, how does that compare to 95 million? We feel like we're the ones who are timid, that we are not the ones with the strength. But in actual fact, as you're describing it now, and listeners will be able to hear that, we're the ones who are standing on the strength. They should be the ones arguing with us as to how this happened in a long term, as they say. Exactly right. And what happens is that from within their belief system, the pair of glasses that they're wearing to, in, to interpret the evidence, what happens is that the evidence doesn't really fit. So they come across a new piece of evidence and it doesn't fit. And the way they report it is that we've made an amazing discovery we're going. This discovery is so important that we're going to have to revise all our thinking on this particular subject. And so that is code words for, 
you know, it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. It's code words. That's but right. you've got to be able to preserve the evolutionary narrative, the atheistic narrative, because all sorts of funding is at risk if you don't. And uh, there's all sorts of reasons why people will argue against the evidence. So we're talking evidence today. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Well, we're talking about what, for a lot of people, is like a favourite subject, dinosaurs today, and our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Our special guest this hour is Dr. Taz Walker, a researcher, writer and speaker on the team at Creation Ministries International. We're talking about some dinosaur footprints that were dated at 95 million years old. Taz, we can talk footprints, but let's talk about the actual creatures, because around the borders in particular of the Great Artesian Basin, this big expanse in the middle of Australia. And uh, you've done a lot of work in this area. This is where dinosaur bones are found in various places. When we talk about the way that those footprints were formed, uh, does the idea that the, the bones are found, uh, does, that, does that work the same way in the, in the way that those fossil evidences are formed? Indeed, yes. Uh, the uh, remains, the bones of, of these dinosaurs are found within the same, the same sediments. Uh, as you mentioned, it's the sediments which contain the artesian waters of the Great Artesian Basin, and they cover a large part of eastern Australia. They go uh, in, in Queensland up to the York Peninsula. They're into New South Wales, almost as far as Sydney. They go across into South Australia and also into the Northern Territory. So that's where the sediments are in this basin. And uh, so we find dinosaur footprints, we find opals and all sorts of amazing things in those sediments. Plus we find the remains of dinosaurs. And up near uh, uh, Winton, as you go up towards Hewenden in that area, they call that the dinosaur triangle because there's so many dinosaur features which are found there. And there's a place called Mutterborough, which is not far from Winton. And they found a large dinosaur there, which is on display in the Queensland Museum. Fabulous. And, uh, you know, I've been to Matterborough and I've been to Winton and I've been to Hewenden. Uh, so, uh, you know, there are these are wonderful places to visit. And uh, so, you know, a little bit of inspiration today, too, because I'm sure that uh, those towns in the west of Queensland would love to have some visitors as well. Hey, 1-800-316-316 to get through on our talkback line. Let's take a call from Warren, who's in Stretton in Queensland. Warren, welcome along. Thank you. How are you? Good, Warren. What are your thoughts? On your show. Well, we, we actually visited Winton about two, oh, a month and a half ago and um, went to the Stampede, which you guys have been talking about, and um, the Jump Up, which is just out of Winton. If you actually do both things together, you get a discount. So. And I was very impressed with what I saw. Um, didn't like the timeline, as you say, <laughs> but what we saw was really great and I'd encourage everybody to go out there and have a look. And, so, you know, these guys Warren, just let me let me ask really you here because dedicated. you're a Christian and uh, you turned yep. up there and you were looking at all of the fabulous exhibits there. Uh, you yep. didn't like the timeline because it conflicts with some of your understanding, and you've grappled with how this fits with a biblical evidence. Yes, and um, even when you like when you're looking at the stampede, you know they're telling you, oh, "It took millions of years for these." 
um, footprints to go into this, and it's rock now. And I'm just thinking, I'm a builder, and I'm thinking that just doesn't make sense. You know, it's it's got to be happen over a short period of time quickly for it to turn into rock. You know, it just doesn't happen. Okay. Well, Warren, uh, stating the obvious, let's get a thought or two from yeah. Taz. That's right. So the dinosaur stampede would have been at La Quarry, where you travelled out about an hour, an hour and a half out that way, was it? Yeah, it's about 100 k's out of Winton. Something like that. And uh, so they were discovered in a quarry as they were digging the rocks out. And uh, when they took the rocks out, they found the footprints underneath on the next layer. And uh, so they were eroding away quite quickly. And uh, so they put a big uh, big uh, roof over it to stop the, the, the weather uh, taking those footprints away. And then the animals would come and lie in the shade underneath the roof. So they eventually spent a lot of money on a tourist uh, feature there which you visited uh, to protect and I think it's air conditioned that particular thing to protect the footprints did they yeah, mention um, did they, they mention any the did, sorry did they mention anything about the small dinosaur footprints walking on tiptoes uh, no they didn't the people we obviously they're just people who I don't know if they just run the place a couple of girls were running it for a few days and the, the story they, they has been over, so. there's a large dino foot, dinosaur footprints there and the story is that the large dinosaur was coming down and it was chasing the, the smaller dinosaurs and going to eat them so they all ran off. That's a story that goes with it. But there's been some other guys who at the University of Queensland have uh, I'd said that these footprints are uh, the footprints of a, a, uh, a, a herbivorous dinosaur and they wouldn't have been wanting to eat them and also, some of the footprints of these small small animals, uh, smaller footprints, were on tiptoes. And so the idea now is that these were actually in water. The water was supporting them, and they were trying to escape the, ri the rising water. And so they're walking on tiptoes, which is just exactly what you'd expect from Noah's Flood. Warren, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our talkback conversation today. You might have a question. Could be across all sorts of issues to do with the creation evolution controversy. Uh, but we are talking dinosaurs, so if you can keep it along the dinosaur idea, that's uh, that's fabulous, enjoyable conversation about dinosaurs. Uh, so if just before we head up to the news, not far away from the news now, uh, we're talking dinosaurs uh, walking through sedimentary uh, areas. This idea of sediments, this also is an indicator of the cataclysmic flood. Uh, sediments are important here, aren't they, Taz? Exactly right. And uh, the uh, description of the sediments or what we observe points to flowing water. Sometimes it points to very deep water that's f uh, carrying lots of sediment. It's laid down quickly. And so, again, the, the time disappears. It's those who hold to long ages that have got a problem with the time when you actually look at the features of the sediments. Uh, just very quickly, uh, because when we talk about a cataclysmic flood, uh, we talk about that, you know, we uh, understand uh, Noah and uh, somewhere there, uh, Middle East, North Africa, or wherever Noah might have been. Uh, the idea that Australia might have been covered with floodwaters too, the whole earth covered in floodwaters. Uh, this sometimes is a problem for, uh, for people. Uh, yes, uh, well, Australia would have been covered by floodwaters and uh, because the Bible talks about the whole of the earth being covered and the waters rose until it covered every high mountain under the heavens. So that would have included Australia. 
And we find even the high mountains like Mount Everest uh, has got uh, marine fossils on the top of it. So, um, and so it was once underwater. But the thing is, it, the water didn't have to rise eight kilometers to cover Mount Everest. What happened is the crust of the earth moved. So the, the, as the crust of the earth at the moment, the continents sit high, the ocean basins sit low. But if you push the continents down and the ocean basins up, then there's enough water at the moment to cover the earth to three kilometres. Before we go any further, let's take another call, Taz. Let's hear from Lisa in Longreach in Queensland. Hi, Lisa. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Lisa, what are your thoughts? Um, so I was calling because I have a six-year-old who is um, very into dinosaurs at the moment. Um, and his question is, why didn't the dinosaurs make it onto the ark? Well, Taz, put you on the spot. Uh, give us some insights here. <laughs> That's a really good one, Lisa. Um, well, actually, Noah was commanded to take two of every kind of air-breathing, land-dwelling animal on the ark. And a dinosaur is a land-dwelling, air-breathing animal. So we, some, we expect that Noah would have taken them on the ark. Now, uh, yep. there's questions that come up with that. A lot of dinosaurs are small and would have no trouble going on. But the very large ones, you'd take the young ones on. So the, the uh, general thinking is that dinosaurs went on the ark. Those which were on the ark were preserved and they came off the ark and they multiplied after the flood and uh, they lived, uh, li lived on the earth. But they've gone extinct. One of the reasons we think that they might have gone extinct is because uh, humans hunted them. But there's actually a lot of stories about uh, humans encountering animals which uh, fit the dinosaur description. And uh, there's a, one of the ways that they were described, a very common way that they were described, is they were called dragons. And so dragons are really dinosaurs in history. And uh, if you go to creation.com, you'll find lots of articles about uh, dinosaurs and dragons and uh, 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 being uh, noted in history. And especially there is a little brochure which you can download uh, about uh, did dinosaurs really die out 65 million years ago. So that's, uh, they didn't. And there's a lot of amazing evidence uh, that, uh, of people encountering them. And Lisa, in Longreach, and you called through, you said you've got a six-year-old son. Now, this is important yes. too because when our children are being exposed to all sorts of things about dinosaurs from a very young age, no doubt some resources in the hands of parents are going to be very important. Taz, uh, for someone like Lisa who has a six-year-old asking these questions, what sort of resources ought Lisa have on hand to be able to answer these sorts of questions? There's a number of really good resources that are available through creation.com, through the online store. One of them is Dinosaurs by Design. There's a, another one, a, more, a slightly more solid book about dinosaurs. There's another one called Dire Dragons. It's a little bit expensive, but it's got the, uh, the history that's, uh, of people encountering them. Plus, uh, you can just get articles on the dinosaurs and print them out and make them available for your son, yeah. which would be really good. And Lisa, we've got for you a subscription to Creation Magazine, and uh, hopefully uh, Karen's got your number and address details. If not, uh, I'll just leave you on hold for a moment while she gets those. But 
Thank you so much, Lisa, for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Before we take any more calls, let me come to one of those really important aspects because if we've got dinosaur footprints, dinosaur fossils that date really if they uh, were drowned in the flood, a cataclysmic uh, flood event, then somehow rather here you've got this crossover with humans. Uh, And, of course, then you've got biblical descriptions and that would be another evidence for a crossover with humans too give us some insights here into how the bible actually describes and talks about dinosaurs well there's one amazing description of a very large animal which the bible calls or it's transliterated as behemoth which means a huge beast and it's in the book of job chapter 40 where god is talking to job and says uh Behold, behemoth, which I made along with you. So God made the behemoth, the large animal, along with people. And then it describes what this animal's like. It's very strong legs. It's, a, it's, a, it's ribs and chest are, are really powerful. And it talks about it's got a tail like a cedar. A cedar is a tree. And so it's got a very large tail. Uh, and uh, we don't know of animals like that, and particularly Bible translators didn't know about them. And so they said things like, well, it might have been an elephant or it could have been a hippopotamus. But an elephant only has a tail with like a bit of rope and a hippopotamus doesn't have much of a tail. But it fits the description of a sauropod dinosaur, one of those dinosaurs that walks on all fours with a huge tail and a long neck. And so... There's a very strong case, very, very powerful, that it actually fits a dinosaur in the book of Job. And uh, just quickly, a lot of cultures have these similar descriptions of humans walking with dinosaurs. Yes, indeed they do. And uh, also dinosaurs are very, um, you know, some of them would be very... Uh, a problem for communities living in the bush or living uh, in the open fields. And so they people would trap them. As a matter of fact, St. George is famous for killing a dinosaur and rescuing people who were endangered by this animal. And uh, even today, uh, or in recent decades, in places like Indonesia and places like that, if elephants could be a problem. And so they would set traps to catch these large elephants because of the problems they're causing to communities. So we think the dinosaurs probably went extinct. Maybe when, with the in, uh, invention of um, uh, gunpowder and, and, and rifles or maybe, you know, a, a change of climate. But the dinosaurs were mentioned and described even in the uh, a thousand years ago at some of the cathedrals in, in England. There's uh, drawings of dinosaurs, etchings of them. Well, that's a huge volume of evidence Mm. that supports the creation account. Mm. And so for listeners today saying, what's the evidence here? Well, there's some pretty substantial evidence in that. Let's take another call. Graham is in Burnie, Tasmania. Hello, Graham. Welcome. Hello. You still there? Yes. Graham, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are what's happened to the the great creatures of the ocean, and just before that, uh, God, it says in the scripture, in the old scripture, that God renewed the face of the earth, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, thoughts here, Taz? Okay, not just quite sure what you're intending. Uh, is it Graham? Graham, yeah. Well, well, yeah, that's right. Well, what happened to the, the, the great creatures that was in the ocean? And we know the animals on the earth have been 
wiped away. But what about the creatures that was in the ocean that could live in the water? That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, well, um, they didn't have to go on the ark, of course, uh, and uh, the creatures in the ocean that are alive today uh, are ones that survived the flood, although a lot did perish. And we find fossils of fish. We find, for example, fossils of uh, a plesiosaur up near Richmond and near Mount Isa. So we find lots of uh, creatures, uh, marine animals, which were buried under sediment and perished during Noah's flood. Uh, but there are animals in the ocean also which have gone extinct. Um, we don't. I'm not aware of anybody uh, seeing a plesiosaur in the ocean, but that doesn't mean to say they don't exist because there's a lot of things we haven't explored there. But uh, certainly the ones uh, that were in the ocean were able to survive without needing to go on an ark and be preserved. Graham from Burnie, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Taz, uh, we're looking for obvious evidence. I mentioned, you know, what you might look at on the landscape as to some evidence for the creation, for the idea of cataclysmic events and such things. Uh, I mentioned that you're a bit of an expert when it comes to the Great Artesian Basin. Uh, Obviously, when there's a huge amount of water covering a nation like this, it's not just calm waters is it because uh, the tidal formations uh, with the earth rotation and the moon uh, well that causes all sorts of tidal movements and so when we talk about floodwaters making huge uh, cutting huge swathes through the landscape how is that visible here in Australia? That's exactly right and uh, there's been computer simulations done of this that uh, the, the currents form circulating currents a little bit like a cyclone but in water and at, they, the estimates that it's a very, very high velocity. And so this would have the effect of uh, planing the surface of the continent flat. And you can see that when you go out, when you drive out to central Queensland, you can see these flat plains. It's, uh, it's almost like you're on the ocean, but you're in the middle of the outback of Australia. So the flat plains of around Winton and places like that. The other thing is that... Um, as the waters were receding and they were covering the, the continent and as the ocean basin sank, the water level would drop and uh, the, it w- would leave little erosional remnants. So you can see them out in, uh, when you drive out in uh, outback Queensland and lots of places around Australia where you see these flat plateaus uh, and then the, there's a drop away quite suddenly to the next level down. And in central Queensland, they call them jump-ups. And uh, there's a, and uh, that's a, an evidence of the receding waters of Noah's flood. Okay, let's see if we can name a number of places that listeners will be very familiar with. Uh, Australian iconic landmarks even that you can see there is evidence for the floods uh, the flood receding uh, places in the red centre like the McDonnell Ranges uh, Glen Helen Gorge uh, Ormiston Gorge Honeymoon Gap uh, those are familiar that, that, names those to are you. familiar gaps there there's a ranges that uh, through the through the McDonnell Ranges the West McDonnell Ranges and there's there's multiple ridges that go through, and the rivers cut right across them. So it, this is a bit of a puzzle for those who who don't believe in Noah's flood and uh, are trying to explain the landscape. They say, why do these rivers just seem to ignore the mountain ranges? But that's one of the features of Noah's flood. As the waters were receding, 
and as the mountain ranges emerged above the water, the waters then flowed, uh, flowed across the ranges and eroded them. They're called water gaps. You also find uh, wind gaps. And they find them all over Australia, these water gaps and wind gaps. And so they're a very, very common feature. That's one of them. Plateaus is another common feature. There's uh, Mount Connor near, near the Uluru, which is a, a very classic one of this flat surface, uh, which uh, was uh, plain flat during Noah's flood. Uh, while we're talking Uluru, Ayers Rock, uh, big monolithic rock right in the middle of Australia. And uh, I've asked a number of creationists about this. I might have even asked you in a former conversation, Taz. But Uluru, Ayers Rock, is a sedimentary rock. And so people would wonder, how did it get there? And as I understand it, it's even on a bit of a lean. So what are your thoughts around Ayers Rock, Uluru? Yes, Neil, indeed, it is a sedimentary rock. And there was lots of sediment which was washed into place. And the sediment is angular, like it's not nicely rounded uh, little pebbles, but they're angular, which indicates that it was rushed into place quickly. There's lots and lots of it, and then it was tipped up on end. It's almost sitting vertically, and uh, then it's been shaved off. So that is amazing evidence of Noah's flood, and we have a a number of brochures about Uluru and uh, its next-door neighbour, which is Catachuca or the Olgas, and uh, that you can download those from uh, creation.com. Just uh, type in brochure or tract, uh, and you can download and print those. Uh, uh, explains the, uh, the the geology of it and the evidence, how it fits with uh, the biblical flood. Let's take another call. Mike is in Launceston in Tasmania. Hello, Mike. Welcome. Hi. My, my comment is about fossil fuels, specifically oil reserves. I, I understand that. Uh, in Noah's flood, all of the sediment, uh, which was vast, covered up vast schools of these little swimmy creatures. They were little critters. And so all of the pockets of oil in various places were vast schools of little, little what are now fossil fuels. Yeah, that's, that is a, uh, a popular explanation. I remember being taught that when I was at, at school as well. But the the uh, the general geological if uh, the, the uh, way geologists explain oil is that it comes from vegetation, so that's not all of it, but the vast quantities of it come from vegetation. So during the flood, the vegetation was ripped up uh, of the pre-flood world. It was carried along and buried, and then when the vegetation is heated under the sediments, the heat. Uh, turns the, the vegetation into coal and it liberates the volatiles, the, the liquids and that, and that's the oil. So the oil actually comes from vegetation uh, and there's a lot more vegetation than schools of fish. Mike from Launceston, thanks so much for your call. Uh, another call who I've got identified here as just a former scientist. Uh, hello, welcome along. Hello, we got you? Yes, uh, looking for Andrew, are you? Uh, is that, I'm not sure if it's Andrew. It's Andrew. Where you're on the air. What's what are your thoughts yeah. for our conversation? <laughs> no, look, I'm just interested. Uh, this is always a, a difficult discussion in the sense that um, there's a wide range of views, and many believe many scientists believe I'm have a scientific background. I'm necessarily a scientist, but I've tried to uh, work my way through this throughout my life, and I've really 
I'm comfortable with uh, theastic evolution um, as really magnifying the glory of God and his creation and the diversity of it. And I just, my only query was, I said to the last, I'm just interested, I don't really hear that or uh, that particular theory or alternative theories on Vision Radio. I'm an avid, I just love it. I've listened to it for five years and that um, I've sort of let it go waiting to hear alternative theories put forward. I mean, at the end of the day, for Christians, um, we don't really know. Uh, and it's interesting exercise to go through all the options. But Andrew, good thoughts many, in that. So Christian when you say science. theistic evolution, you're talking about uh, why don't we synthesize the two, the biblical account and what the evolutionists teach as a scientific foundation. Taz, you must come across this question uh, with some frequency. What is? What are your thoughts for Andrew? Uh, yes, we come across it a lot, and uh, there's um, th- there's quite a uh, there's quite a, a bit about it. There's a book called about should Christians believe in evolution, and you, and you say you've uh, done a, quite a bit of research in it. But the the real big issue is that the, when you assume that evolution over millions of years, you have death and suffering and disease and conflict and bloodshed before sin comes into the world. And uh, that's the big sort of sticking point, and it's a it's a major theological issue. And there's many theologians who don't want to accept the idea of a young Earth and are wrestling with how to explain or to how to hold on to the idea that God is good, and He created a good world, and He's uh, He wants good things, and yet in the world we see in the fossils death, suffering, disease, and bloodshed. And, uh, and and the Bible says very clearly that in, in Romans that death came into the world through one man. Sin came through a man and death through sin. And uh, so that's the big issue and that's why Creation Ministries is quite uh, straight down the line on accepting straightforward a young earth as the Bible describes uh, and no death before sin, a good world, which means a good God, and the sin is the problem. Jesus is the cure. Andrew, I just I res- want to give I you... Res- I, respect, I respect that view. All I'm saying is there are alternative views, and I would like Vision to present them. Many scientists, Christian scientists in those areas, believe that, that in evolution, and the majority of major domina- denominations in the world uh, can accommodate either old earth creationism or theistic evolution. So that I'm, I understand what you're saying and I respect it and it's a constant... I don't have a de- definitive answer, but... Just well, send me an email, uh, Graham, on... Uh, Andrew. And Andrew. Is, is it Andrew? Yeah. Send me an email yeah. uh, through creation.com if you want to have the conversation further. Uh, deeper conversations to have, and interesting to talk about the idea of presenting alternative views. There's a little conflict that arises too, and I'll just get a quick thought because we're running out of time here. Jesus himself, the central focal point of the history of the whole world, the central focal point of our Christianity. And if we are to believe the words of the Bible, when Jesus himself affirms the Genesis account, it takes us into a very, very important question. Did Jesus tell the truth about that account or was Jesus misrepresented? And uh, there's a challenging thought in that. And uh, I'd like to think that Jesus is telling the truth. And so it does narrow our thoughts about what we might teach about the Bible. Yes, exactly right. And it is a 
I think it is difficult to know how to handle it. But uh, you know, it's not Jesus taught believe Genesis, and he 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 uh, numbers of times sort of made statements. He believed Noah's flood as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. And he talked about Abel since the Abel died, and he also. Uh, there's a number of places where Jesus clearly uh, believed in Genesis, as did the apostles, and in the new, uh, you know other places in the New Testament. So there's no hint anywhere that uh, they um, believed in evolution over long ages. It's really a modern, a modern thing which has come into the world, and it's had, uh, you know, it's really discredited, uh, you know, taken the the Bible off. You know, out of the realm of uh, public discourse, and so that's what's happened. So, yeah, you, I think it's awkward. We need to do it with respect, but we need to stand on what we really believe is to be true. Andrew from Victoria, thank you so much for your call. And uh, we've run out of time. Uh, there could have been an awful lot more we could have discussed around this issue, but loved the conversation around dinosaurs. No doubt that listeners uh, are interested in dinosaur footprints, dinosaur. Uh, skeletons, uh, those fossil evidences, and the idea that they actually, when you look at them through the evidence uh, from a creationist point of view, actually look very sound and very solid. Uh, You've got to look through a different set of eyes to come up with this idea of, say, 95 million years ago. Uh, So far as resources go, uh, we're pointing people to creation.com. You can do a very simple search of something like 10,000 articles on the Creation website. And uh, if you're looking for detail on creation versus evolution on so many different issues, that's a well-used resource. Uh, Give us some idea how how people can use that and get the best out of it. Well, there's a a good search box on the front page of of the site. And using that, you can just type in a question and it'll come up with articles which will answer your question. There's also videos, uh, uh, media uh, material, and so you can search that as well. You can get uh, one-minute videos, 10-minute videos, half-hour videos, one-hour videos on all sorts of topics. So there's a lot of resources. Creation.com. Dr. Taz Walker is a researcher, writer, and speaker on the team at Creation Ministries International. Taz, thanks so much for the update today on 2020. It's It's been a delight to be here, Neil. Thank you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.